When Mark Doherty joined Annan in January, he probably didn't know how lucky he was. Right now, players up and down the country don't know if or when they'll next kick a ball. Hundreds are out of contract and have nothing new on the table. Mark is one of the fortunate ones, though, thanks to the 18-month deal he penned at Galabank. They're the 11th time he signed for a club after coming through the ranks at St Mirren. We'll take a look back at his playing career, which has included helping Alloa to successive promotions. Plus, we'll hear about his action-packed lockdown, which involved wife Leanne giving birth in the midst of a pandemic and continuing as a key worker at St Philip's Residential School in Airdrie. It's all here on Down the Divisions. Well, Paul, another week, another episode and another seven days without football. English Premier League is back this week. The Premiership in Scotland hopes to be back in August. Uh, what's the latest at New Mains? Any any noises as to when you're going to be back? No, nothing at all. We had a Zoom meeting last night, or the chairman had a Zoom meeting last night uh, with the league. Uh, they had muted the talk to get back in October, but... To be honest, Gareth, I, I think we'll struggle to get back in October because I think the Premier League's going back, isn't they? And the, the Championship have voted to go back uh, playing reduced games and League 1, 2 in the Lowland League at the moment haven't haven't had their vote. So I'd be very, very surprised if we were back in October. Uh, the one thing that they did stress on the, on, on the meeting last night was teams are actually going back training. To which I don't really understand that either, because what they what they training for? You know, the, the, there's nothing nothing to be training uh, for, and we don't have a date to go back. And also at our own park on Friday night, I went up there and there's an amateur team actually on our park, really? <laughs> with the cones out, the balls out, the coach, even the boxing pads. They were doing boxing on the pitch, and I'm thinking to myself, our team's not back yet. The local amateurs are back, so so not no word. But uh, looking forward to the Premiership. Uh, coming back this week, uh, beloved Man United. Uh, can't wait to see them again. It must be eating away at you that your football isn't happening. I mean, right now you'd be normally you'd be signing players, you'd be getting your pre-season plans sorted. Does it left a bit of a void that way? Well, at, at this point, I, I was due to fly to Lanzarote, so their season finished two weeks ago. So we would actually be on holiday at this point anyway. We wouldn't we wouldn't even be in training. And even if we now decide we're going to go back in October. That's still like another two months extension onto onto where we would be. So ah, it's frustrating. You're talking to players, and I'm the first to defend a player. You're chatting to players saying, oh, what are you doing next year? And they're all quite rightly saying, let's see when we go back. Let's see, you know, they're going to get better offers than, than, than teams like New Mains. I'm a realist here, do you know what I mean? But uh, it's very difficult. And I also see teams constantly parading signings who... They can't sign with the club till after the 30th of June anyway because they can't register the players. So, so it's all a bit up in the air at the moment. But uh, yeah, definitely looking forward to getting back. And, uh, as I say, trying to keep as busy as we can and, and talk to players and trying to create some interest. Hopefully it won't be too long before we're all, uh, we're all back watching football again anyway. Um, good to have you all listening on episode 12. We're here every Wednesday with a new episode. If you've got any comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at downthedivisions at gmail.com. That's downthedivisions at gmail.com. Or you can contact us through Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. And in defender Mark Doherty is our guest this week. Thanks for joining us, Mark. No worries, mate. No problem at all. Before we, uh, before we chat some more, we've got the, the Down the Divisions decider where one of us gives four clues for a particular year. 
It's Law 1, Davis 1 at the minute. Paul, you've got the clues this week, so it's over to you. And I think we'll get we'll get you involved, Mark. Right, go for that. Now, every week we've done this, we always mention the Junior Scottish Cup. And I've got a funny feeling you've memorised these. So I've, I've, I've kept it in this week, but uh, here we go. So McDonald's opened this week. So the first clue is McDonald's introduced the first extra value meal. Second one is the band Rock Set had a hit with Joyride. Mark's looking at me going, who the hell's Rock Set? Right? <laughs> oh, no, I like Rock Set. Do you like Rock Set? <laughs> there you go. So, Rock Set had a hit with Joyride. Great song. Uh, Auchinleck, so I've kept it in this week's Scottish Cup. Auchinleck beat Newton Green Star 1-0 in the Scottish Junior Cup. I look at you racking your brains now because you've been on that internet. Uh, and Sheffield Wednesday beat Man United 1-0 in the English League Cup. Mark Guest always goes first. I was going to say I want to hear Gareth's here because I could sound <laughs> stupid. <laughs> right, that's all right, Gareth, you go first. <laughs> right, I'm going to go 19. 19? That's doing a year. It's a I'm number. Starting, I'm starting 1991. <laughs> wow. Mark? I'm going to go 94. 1994. You were really thinking it was in the 80s, in Mark. But yeah, he's I went was. 91. And you've just spent. <laughs> I was. Right. I was going to go 87. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> See, right. I, was, I was thinking it could have been 80s as well, but that's why I went 91. I just think. Anybody want to change? No, change? I'm sticking. Okay, right. Answers at the end of the show, by the way. And in defender, Mark Doherty is on the show tonight. Mark, at the, the start of the show, I mentioned. Uh, I guess you're one of the lucky ones with a, with a contract right now. Is, is is that how you feel when you see see other boys, you know, with, with nothing in front of them? Yeah, definitely, Gareth. I've spoke to um, I've spoke to a, a number of boys in Scottish football just about the same issue, you know. And for me, um, just as you say, I, I do feel quite fortunate actually. I was I was speaking to um, my father-in-law about it the day he was he was questioning, you know, when we're going to be back and what's my thoughts and tell about asking the question. Are we still getting paid and you know what? It's a wee bit unknown for a lot of people. So um, I've spoke to a lot of boys in football, and and it's I've heard a few horror stories to be fair. Um, with boys, you know, that are going to be struggling, and and I know some in particular that that maybe don't have another career outside of football as well, or or maybe have apprenticeships and whatever else, and no earning a lot of money. Some of them even with families and whatever. So although the the money in the lower leagues in Scotland is it's no life changing money, but it makes a difference when you. When you're mm. earning decent enough money going towards when you've also got a career, you know. So um, I do feel fortunate actually that that I, I felt unfortunate the way things panned out for for um, when I when I had left in January, if I'm being honest, because um, I had I had played kind of nearly every week um, to be fair. So it was quite a strange one the way that things had panned out and, and me leaving there. But the way things have happened the last few months now with lockdown and 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 this coronavirus pandemic then. Actually, I've, it's, it's actually worked out quite well for me financially. How many guys, Mark, would be on more than just a one-year deal at Annan? Is it just yourself or is there a few of you? I, th- I, I think there's actually only one or two that's maybe been signed. But I, I, I think there's only a couple that's been signed. I know the manager's in talks with quite a lot of the boys and whatever. Um, but as you said earlier, with regards to your own boys and your own clubs, there's not going to be many boys committing to the end now unless it's, unless it's a brilliant deal. And, and again... There's no, there's no many clubs going to be offering that right now either. So um, we don't have many signed players um, for next year. And as I say, I just felt quite fortunate, even at my age as well. Do you know what I mean? I'm 32 now. I'm not getting any younger. So 
to have another year's security and another year's contract there in this these day and this time than now, do you know, it's, it's I do feel quite fortunate. And is the the club kind of kept in contact with the boys throughout this? Have they kind of informed you of if there's any sign of going back training? Myself personally, I've been in contact with the club initially quite a bit because I was kind of taking to do with with dealing with Michelle at the PFA and taking to do with the boys, like you know what what we were agreeing and what we were as a squad, um, rather than like boys individually speaking to clubs and maybe clubs holding boys to ransom and whatever else. I wasn't. I was kind of one of the the ones that was making sure that that wasn't going to happen. Um, and as I say, I've been dealing back and forward with the club, and I spoke to like one of the the directors and whatever at the club, um, as well as dealing with the PFA for the boys. Yeah, you mentioned you'd heard one or two horror stories. Can you give us like a flavour of of what you mean by horror stories? Is it guys having to look to sign on? Is it guys with with you know having to go and do painting and decorating shifts with their with their uh, ankle? You know, well that's uh, I I don't want to mention any names yeah. in case the boys are no one obviously that sort of exposure or whatever or, or talking bad about their clubs and whatever but boys I've played with and boys that I'm quite good friends with one in particular um, the way things has panned out at his club and, and actually ending up getting you know I think there was things getting said that the if they didn't sign by a certain deadline date and gain them deadlines that they were going to be getting made redundant stuff which I, I, don't, I don't agree with at all especially when the, the government had brought in this furlough scheme that was obviously in my opinion and, and I think that is actually what it's brought in for is to obviously support people and keep people in a job um, rather than the way things were getting mentioned, like they were kind of holding boys to ransom, which I didn't really agree with, you know. And that was a boy who, again, what I mentioned earlier, hasn't got another career and isn't as fortunate as some boys that, that have been part-time like myself for a number of years and, and managed to forge out another career for myself, do you know what I mean? So without prying into your contract, Mark, would, would, would they have used the furlough scheme for you at the moment? Would that, a club like Annan, is that how, uh, how it well, works? Yeah, well, what's happened to us is um, we are, the, the, the government obviously are paying the club 80%, but in fairness to Annan, um, Annan have actually been great the way they've dealt with us. And Michelle actually made reference to that to me. You know, she said the chairman, that's a boy's called Phil Jones, um, that he's he's kind of dealt with Michelle quite a bit himself. And in terms of Annan are obviously receiving 80% for the government, they're still talking up um, the other 20%. So... Me personally, I've still I've received full payment, you know, for the last few months, which is 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 decent to them. Do you know what I mean? Because I don't I don't think there's a lot of clubs out there that are actually doing that. So fair play to Annan, and they're maybe one of the ones that are going to come out of this with a good reputation off the back of it. Because I certainly know, because I certainly know there's some that aren't. Well, I was just about to say that that's uh, kind of a lot of clubs don't get praised when when they do good things, do they? Yeah. And uh, if, for them to come out. Do you see kind of teams round about you? I mean, I've kind of you hear rumours and that, but do you think through all this, clubs will be in trouble? Possibly. Just you, when you think about it, with with regards to no no punters coming through the gates, there's I, I believe hospitality in the lower leagues for what for what I hear as well, and just for my own experience, hospitality must be a big pull for the clubs in terms of. Do you know how much money that actually can bring in for them as well? Is obviously the ticket sales and people coming through the doors and whatever. So when you take all that away and then you're still, if, if the club are still paying boys wages and whatever else, and say 20, 30 boys, and then you take into account the staff and that as well, behind the scenes that, that you don't know about. Do you know what I mean? It's it's a lot of money for clubs when they're, when they're not earning. So yeah. I, I do personally, I think there will be, I really hope it doesn't, but I think you could come out at the end of this if, if, if it doesn't get its finger out anytime soon, then there's going to be a few clubs toiling. You mentioned you know moving to Annan in January and things maybe 
surprising you the exit yeah. from fourth for being a bit of a surprise yeah you know can you can you elaborate on that a little bit little bit more I, I mean well, what, what what happened it was um it was quite strange gareth if i'm being honest i'd received a call for the manager and you know i'm not speaking bad of stuart malcolm or a forfer i played with big malky um i played with him in i don't know must have been 2010 or something like that so i knew him well i, I away from football as well and he's and he's not a bad guy um but i just didn't i i, I didn't enjoy the way things had the way that it happened it was very quick Do you know he came in jim weir obviously signed me up there and and i signed a two-year deal um which was which was good for me but jim weir obviously resigned for his post i have i think it must have been september october time and Stuart malcolm got the job um now i was actually one of the ones that he'd kind of spoke to prior to him prior to him coming prior to him actually agreeing to be the manager um, so I got on quite, I had a good relationship with him, um, but for him, what I'm saying is he came in maybe September, October time, he was there for, for a number of months, so see if he didn't fancy me, um, and, and maybe thinking he wants to go play a different way, I'm, I'm a bit older now, I'm no the way that I, I was when I was 25, 26, and up and down the park and box to box anymore, I, I'd changed my game, Joe, you know, I was playing sitting midfield for him, um, but if he didn't fancy me, I, he could have told me that maybe a month mm. prior to it because the way that it actually panned out Gareth he spoke to me on a Thursday night um, prior to me going up to training he, he phoned me I was actually at my work um, and he phoned me just to say that if I wanted to sort myself something out that he wasn't going to stand in my way type thing now I had a year and a half left in my deal I was in decent money I was one of the more experienced boys at the club um, and, I, and and the transfer window actually shut on the Friday night <laughs> so it gave me one day to get my future sorted and I, I wasn't I just don't think it was a, a great way of going about it I think if he wasn't fancying me he could have put me three, four, five weeks prior to that and said look things are maybe going to change in January if you want to sort yourself something out which would have given me time to then mm. speak to clubs I was left with one day to go and try and sort my future out fortunately there was a few a, a few clubs interested and I had options and I had offers but I've no doubt, uh, uh, and that's no disrespect to Annan, I could have potentially had something better for myself had I had a wee bit more time, do you know? But it happens, things happen for a reason, they say, so it, it panned out the way it did. Now, Stuart Malcolm wasn't forcing me out the door, I need to reinforce that. He wasn't He wasn't saying to me, do you know, he wasn't holding a gun to my head and saying, I want you. He basically said, I know the type of boy you are, Sparky, you want to play week in, week out. You have played week in, week out. He's like... And I know you won't be happy sitting on the bench at your age. He's like, I've got too much respect for you to bring you up here and no involve you and all that. He said, I wouldn't do that to you. Um, he said, so I'm just letting you know you're maybe not going to play as many games as you're used to and whatever. And and if and if you want to sort yourself something, you can. If you want to remain here, you can as well. So that was the type of conversation I had with him. But when a manager has that conversation with you, Gareth, I know where I stand. <laughs> if I'm not going to play every week, then I, I, I would rather get myself something sorted, you know? In a previous life... I was kind of involved in the football agency world and the story yeah. that you've just told there used to be quite a common theme. Players common, yeah. Would come up and say to me, what am I going to do? I've got a year and a half, two years left in my contract. Manager doesn't fancy me. Now, in a situation like that, you've got two choices. Nobody wants to just sit at the club and no play because you're, yeah. you're there to play. But on some occasions, and... I've had to say to a player, stay. I don't, you're, you're going to need to stay because you're on X amount next year. Your contract's maybe even going up like a pay rise every year. Yeah. And yeah. I had, an, I, I had a, a, a player who was playing in the Premier League in, in Scotland who had three years on his deal and had the same thing. It was like a ratchet deal where his contract yeah. went up every day. 
And I says to him, I don't know how you can walk away because if you go to a lower division club, you're doing your, your family and money. How did you come up with the decision just to, to kind of walk away from that? Well, it, it actually worked out um, quite well for me, Paul. It worked out well because although, as I said to you, I had 18 months left, um, Annan actually were one of the clubs who were really interested in me. I'm good friends with, with the assistant manager there, Dan Barr. Me and Dan played right. together at uh, me and Dad's played together at Dumbarton for a couple of seasons, so and right. we're good friends away from football. Um, our our kids socialise and stuff. We do stuff with the kids. Um, so Daz is obviously aware of my situation because he was my mate. He had obviously spoke to Peter Murphy, who's the manager there and whatever, and they were really keen to get me. So Peter Murphy had then approached Forfa, just saying to, to Stuart Malcolm, obviously I'm aware of my situation. Um, I think he'd possibly put it out there to to clubs as well that if anybody wanted to speak to me, they could. Um, so. Peter Murphy got in contact, you know, fairly quickly, um, and I, it worked out quite well, uh, Paul, because they then they then just took over my my contract directly for Forfa. So <laughs> in terms of financially, I never lost out um, because they just took they just took over my deal like straight for the next eighteen months. So it was a win-win situation for you then, wasn't it? Well, it actually worked out even better because I was due I was due a few quid um, for Forfa, um, and obviously they were the ones that wanted me out. So. Um, an experienced player, I played, I played my cards quite well, you know, and I said to them, well, if you want me out the door, you, uh, I'm not going anywhere at this moment in time. You need to pay me X amount of money. If you want me to go, then I'd be, look, I'd be looking for an incentive to go. So I ended up actually getting a few quid out of them as well, um, and Annan managed to take over my deal. So I actually won out it financially, which was obviously good for me. I think as well, this is the side of football that people and, and our listeners probably don't see. You know, yeah. and, so, and some people play, you know, players get criticised, don't they? Oh, they're taking money from a club and stuff like that. Or agents, I've seen agents getting criticised. Yeah. He's a bad agent, he's telling them to sit it out. But actually, when you've got a job, especially when you're a part-time player, that, top, as you, that we've said before, that tops your money up. That, that, that makes you, that, that's what pays your lifestyle at the end of the day and, that, and that's yeah. your wages. And I think that's something that, that, that people don't see at all in it. Aye, that's it, and it's you. You're spot on. If if a club's if I've got 18 months there, that's that that money's mine. You know, I've 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 earned that. It's my money. It's there for me to get. If I stay there for 18 months, great. If I don't, I don't. But they gave me that contract at the end of the day. I agreed that contract prior to signing. If they then weren't happy with me six months down the line, that's not my issue. If I I could have then if I I, I found myself in a similar situation. Actually, when I was at St Mum as a kid, um, when I when I eventually left St Mum, I still had a year left in my my contract at St Mum as well. But I was a wee bit young, I was a bit naive, I didn't have the experience I've got now, um, where I where I potentially I'd I'd done a couple of daft things that put myself in that position. But had I had a bit more knowledge and understanding of how football actually worked, I, in hindsight, I maybe would have just sat it out for a wee while because eventually. I would have get back in. I would have get you get the old threat. You'll be training with the kids, and this will be happening, and that'll be happening. Um, but see, see, as time passes and it blows over, I potentially could have got another opportunity, you know. But I chose at that time. I was so keen to play, and I wanted to play first team football. I eventually just said, right, rip up my deal, and away I went. And I went and signed for Still and Albion off the back of that with we Alan Moore. But looking back, um, it's the things that you learn. So. I'm sitting here at 32 now and found myself in quite a similar situation where I've got 18 months money sitting there. I thought that that's mine. Do you know what I mean? I agreed that. Um, so if they want me out the door, then you're going to need to you're going to need to come across with with some money for me to go that that I'm happy with. Know know that you's offered me that I want. And if if they accept it, great. 
if they don't, I also said I'm quite happy to sit there. I'll work hard. I believe in my own ability. I'll, 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 I'll force my way back into your plans. So at the end of the day, it's down to you whether you want to, you want me out the door that much or you don't. Um, so as I say, I ended up winning out it, so it was fine. That's good. We've kind of, kind of spoke about about uh, the negative kind of stuff about football, and this podcast is down the division. You, you did start out at Saint Martin. How did that come about? Were you, were you a youth player? Were you kind of through the pro youth system there, or no? Well, boys actually, club I picked up. I started. Um, I played played boys club whatever for a number of years, and then I actually signed with Albion Rovers pro youth. They're obviously my local team um, coming from Coatbridge. So I signed with Albion Rovers as a kid um, and I was playing pro youth there under Jimmy Lindsay and John Bell back in the day. It was really good. Loved it. Um, and I actually got picked up. It was a scout. Um, it was a, a guy. His name was Jamie Jamie McAllister. I think he, I can't remember his second name. Jamie some. But he actually stayed in Coatbridge as well um, along with one of my one of my friends, um, his father, Willie Cohoon, he was a he was also a scout at the time. I think he was a scout for Hibs, but they um, they then recommended me to St Mum um, and asked me if I would kind of go in and go and trial and whatever else. And that's that's what I done. So I went and played a few trial games and whatever um, for St Mum, and then and then eventually the the head of youth development at the time was Big Davy Longwell, um, yeah. and da- and da- Big Davy offered me I, in my first contract. I signed a two year deal as as I went in as a young apprentice and signed my YTS. So and that's where it started. And you made a you made the first team debut. I did. I well, I signed with Mum straight for school. So I signed there when I was sixteen. I just went full time straight for school. So that was obviously great for me. That was always my dream. I wanted to play full time football. So straight out of school, I think I'd done fifth year and done some of my hires and whatever, and then signed for St Mum at sixteen. Signed a two year, done my two year YTS, um, and then I got offered my my next contract was I think it was a one year I signed. That was my first year pro. And then I signed another one year, and that was like kind of my second year pro um, at St Mirren, and that was me then in about like the reserves and the first team and whatever. So I well, I, I made my debut for St Mirren. I think it was in March, maybe 2007. Maybe I made my debut. St Mirren won the Premier League at the time. When I went to St Mirren, um, they were actually they 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 just won the first division, the old first division. Um, so St Mirren had just been like, kind of promoted into the Premier League at the time, um, and eventually I made my debut under Andy Milne and Gus McPherson. And see, looking back, it was. Uh, your my time at Smurland and like your your youth team days, it was the best days of your life. So that was at the old Love Street Stadium, was it? It was Smurland old Love Street. I what a stadium yeah. that was. Loved it there, honestly. And you were in the boot room cleaning the boots. I certainly was. I cleaning the boots. No, not just the boots. We were boot duty. We were shower. We were cleaning shower areas. We were cleaning first team dressing rooms. We were cleaning kit, cleaning balls after training, carrying goals down to the down to the training for the first team boys before so we'd be in early doors um, getting all the all the first teams kit prepared all their balls their boots doing all the jobs beforehand then if you were lucky enough to train with the first team great if you won the then I'd be carrying the goals and all that type of stuff down and then we'd be back we'd be on the minibus and we'd be away to train in the afternoon first team boys would be finished we'd come home and then they'd clean up basically they'd clean up all their shit after them <laughs> <laughs> and that was the best days of your life <laughs> oh honestly brilliant you started they had to think we'd been report for nine o'clock I was always late right enough so I was always missing trains and not getting into half nine and getting fined all the time um, but I think you're in for nine o'clock and you're there to half four five o'clock every night by the time that you've got all the jobs and all the duties done. I was one of the fly ones. I used to hide quite a lot, but I soon get found out and got found myself in a bit of bother a few times. Who uh, Whose boots were you cleaning? 
Oh, I had a few. I used to clean Big John Sutton's boots. Big John Sutton had um, black, black. He loved a pair of Val Sports, um, so I used to clean Big Sutton's boots. I also cleaned Charlie Adams' boots when Charlie oh, yeah. Adam came on loan. I used to clean Charlie's boots. Who else? We used to clean them all, really. That was my kind of two, and I think that they two for were one of the seasons. We used to get made clean Andy and Gus's boots and stuff as well, but we just we'd have to clean them all basically. Who, um, I cleaned who? Big Kev McGowan actually I ended up cleaning Big Kev McGowan he was a captain at St Martin as well I cleaned Big Kev's but I think he said I was the worst bit boy he ever had I think I was just about to say I could tell by your face there you were looking at us as if to say I had done a right shite <laughs> job with that <laughs> I, 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 I wasn't great Big Sutter used to moan at me all the time I used to soak his boots he used to say, I don't want my boots wet and I'd hand them they'd be splunging <laughs> <laughs> the Val Sports would have been his brothers <laughs> hand me downs for Big Chris <laughs> <laughs> Ended up hand me downs to me anyway because I ain't a bargain to try and get them off him for free. <laughs> <laughs> I take it the Christmas tips off the off the boys whose boots you cleaned and they weren't all that tot because you know you normally hear about first team boys giving giving the boot boys tips at Christmas. I, 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 we used to get our tips at Christmas, but we used to have to earn it though. We had to stand Gareth in front of the the whole first team dressing room and do an issue where it was a song or a dance or whatever it was you had to do and I was that was they were what bad. was your number? I didn't have a particular song because I remember one time um, I think I only done it once and I think they, they ignored me after that because I was that bad I stood <laughs> and I just ride. I know I just stood <laughs> and I absolutely froze and then in the old Love Street we used to have the, the benches right round the full dressing room and all the boys are standing with their, with their socks on like wee balls and I just remember they were all just attacking us pelting us with the socks because they had how bad I was. <laughs> <laughs> We've um, you, you mentioned Gus and Andy. Andy's obviously gone back in to kind of first team coaching this week after being named assistant manager at Kilmarnock. Are you surprised that he's been out of oh. that kind of level of, of job, you know, for so long? If you like, I know he went to, he went with Gus down to Queen of the South, didn't he? And he's, yeah. been, he's been in other places, but yeah. actually, is he is he been a bit of a, a loss to the game because the way he used to live his life as a player? I mean, he, I mean, and, and football was his life as well, wasn't it? Yeah, if you've no idea, Andy Mullen, honestly, God, I, Andy Mullen's one of the, the 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 best men I've ever met in football. Honestly, see the impact in the. I can't speak highly enough of him, honestly. He's probably the best coach I've ever had. Um, and, and I've had a lot of coaches over the years, obviously, but Andy's the one that sticks out the most. He was, Andy Mullen was an, an animal on the park. Honestly, he would do, he would smash his granny. He was one of the guys. Um, but see, away for football, and I'm still, I'm close with Andy the now. Um, we meet up every now and again, Andy, and there's a few is Matt Riley and Kevin McGowan and we, John Baird, and all the old old guard. Um, I was obviously one of the young pups at the time, but they really looked after me, and we meet up fairly regularly. I'm still good friends with Andy, and I can't, I honestly, I can't speak high enough for him. And the fact that he was out of football, as you say, Gareth, for so long, I, I honestly couldn't believe it. Honestly, it was. As you say, he went to Queen of the South with Gus, and they never they never did great down there. I think there was a lot of financial restraints at the club at the time, um, and Andy found his sale out of the game, whatever. But I, he, he then get back in. He was in at Morton doing a bit of coaching with Morton's kids, and then obviously went to Commander, and he takes the Commander kids now. But as you say, been promoted up to work with the first team now. It's only going to be Commander's gain. Um, Andy Mullen is an unbelievable coach and an unbelievable man. And he would even still. Name himself in the reses at age 40 and that, wouldn't he? And come in and take the... No, listen. Was he a lot older than that, was he? Andy, I, I, actually, check it out when we're finished here. I, I'm going to say Andy actually is the oldest player in the Premier League history to play. 
and I'm for St. Man, not not just for St. Man, sorry, he played with St. Man, but I'm going to say Andy was 44. I think 40, 44. I'll say when Andy right? retired for playing. I, I think he played in the Premier League in Scotland at 42, 43, which if you think about it, it's, it's incredible. Mm-hmm. Especially an outfield player. Aye, exactly. And it, it was just down to the way, as you say, the way he lived his life. Um, don't get me wrong, Andy, in terms of diet and all the rest of it, Andy would eat McDonald's and all that before, tra- before training and all that. After training, Andy loved a McDonald's and stuff, but he just... Andy was he was a machine. Honestly, he was the fittest guy. Even even in pre-season and that, Andy used to take the boys for like, we'd do like 15 minute runs and all that, and see try to keep up with Andy. It was unbelievable. And even at the bleep test and all that, you'd see him. And Andy would rip the tap off of the heart rate monitor on, and he'd be right up the front at 37, 38, 39, 40, whatever he was. Unreal. Just just in terms of uh, what you were saying there, he set the SPL record for oldest player at 42 years and 279 yeah, days. And, uh, and he, he he actually played for Queen's Park in the third division, yeah. aged 40, 45. There you go. I'm going to tell you a story, Gareth. See when, see when Andy went to Queen's Park. Um, actually, I was actually at Annan at the time, right? See when Andy played for Queen's Park because I remember I played against him when he went to Queen's Park um, Andy was playing centre half and I was down at Annan I had just left Brecon but down to Annan in the January just for six five months whatever it is to the end of the season we played we played uh, Queen's Park down at down at Annan on a, it was a Tuesday night and Andy was obviously playing so I was speaking to him before the game whatever else as I say because we were really friendly Andy actually at one point I don't know it was in the second half anyway I was playing left back and I had kind of broke forward and I'm on the edge of the box kind of dipping the shoulder ready to try and either put a cross or a shot in and Andy absolutely smashed me (laughs) and and listen he meant it he he knew exactly what he was doing he properly hurt me Um, and after the game after the game I'm like to you he's pulling me up at the time going come on Sparky get up you're better than that get up and all that I'm like Andy what are you doing he absolutely smashed me well if if he was 45 then what age are you now 32 so you've still got a good 13 years left in the game then uh, I'm not Andy Mellon, I'll tell you. <laughs> I bet those two year deals that you keep negotiating, you'll be there to be a <laughs> In terms of, uh, I mean, you touched on it there before that you could have stayed at St. Moon if you'd had a bit more, if you'd been a bit more streetwise, yeah. maybe. Do, do you look back and regret leaving when you did? I possibly. Um, it just. I, I, I look back with regrets at St Man in terms I loved it I loved my time there I learned so much it gave me a great grounding in football as I say my first club and I learned off of some unbelievable pros and things that stayed with me in my full career do you know guys like you've just said Andy Millen Gus McPherson Big Kev McGowan Mark Riley um, guys that honestly John Potter Hugh Murray the, the level of the professionals and guys that had played at the level they had and you know the way they went about their business they taught me so much and it's actually morals and values and whatever that stayed with me in my full career um, so the learning I had there was amazing but what I will say is in terms of myself I probably never I was a jack the lad and a bit of a widow when I was younger and whatever else and as I already mentioned and alluded to like skipping jobs and all that type of stuff and turning up late and all the rest of it um, that was the type of boy I was. No, no malice or no badness in me. I was just, I was just a bit daft, actually. I would say. Um, so looking back, I probably wish I was a wee bit more kind of level-headed, or maybe had the head on me that I've got now, and kind of realised probably what I had. Because I see when I left St. Gareth, I remember leaving there thinking, right, okay, I'll take a step down. I'll go and play with Stirling Albion. I'll be top man. 
I'll get picked up, no bother, I'll be back playing in the Premier League. And you don't actually, because I was in a bubble, I didn't actually realise, you know, the amount of, once you go down the lower leagues to the Championship, well, it was old first division, second division, the amount of players there that are absolutely great players, I would, I didn't really think that at all. I, I didn't really know because all I knew was playing like in the youth teams at St Mirren and playing in the reserves. It used to be the old reserve league in the reserves. How, why they ever done away with that, I'll never know. But anyway, that's another story. But that was kind of my only real experiences. So I thought I would just go there and you'd stand out with a sore thumb. But I quickly realised there was top players at that level as well. So and it never quite materialised for me then to get back to the level that I was at at St Mirren. Do you know what I mean? Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. I never helped myself, as I said. And I also had off-field problems and stuff like, even when I left St Man or whatever else, I had um, I had a real problem with gambling and stuff. I was I was a compulsive gambler, so I um, I I probably didn't conduct myself the way I did, and I didn't I didn't live my life the way that I should have away from football and whatever. Do you know my my life was consumed with gambling, which is never going to help anybody. Do you know what I mean? Did that did that um, did that impact? For quite a while, and, and, and did it did it stop you from being as good a player as you probably could have been? Oh, definitely, definitely, because you know, gambling for me it took over my life. You know, I know a lot of boys, and it's well known in the the kind of football industry that there's a lot of a lot of footballers get into gambling and stuff, and and that was my life for a long time. For I was I don't know 15, 16, I think I, when I placed my first bet, and and I was a compulsive gambler till I'm clean now, and I haven't had a bet for a long, long time now. I've I, I went to GA and stuff, Gareth, so right. I, I went and get help for the gambling, but I wish I had done it sooner because it really impacted my life on all, not just football, my whole life. Um, so definitely I do look back and think, had I not had the problems and whatever else off the park, that, that, I, that I could have did better, do you know what I mean? But it How, is what it is, it's, these things happen. Touching on gambling, obviously we'll have a lot of players uh, from down the divisions listening to this. Yeah. How did you become involved in gambling? What, did you remember your first bet? And uh, you touched on uh, getting help. How did yeah. you recognise you needed help, and and how did that come about? Um, well, I I believe probably I was a compulsive gambler for a young age, and I think um, I don't know if it's hereditary. There's gambling. Um, there's there's addiction in my family. Do you know, my my mum's an alcoholic, and my dad's a compulsive gambler, so. I was kind of brought up in that environment with gambling and whatever else round about. So I got into it for a really young age um, and it just got up to me, got a hold of me for an early age and I just couldn't help it. Um, and it just get, and they say it's one of the worst illnesses ever. It just gets progressively worse. And it definitely did in my case because the longer it went, you know, as I said earlier, it affected my whole life. It wasn't just football that affected. I remember at times getting into St Mirren and, and leaving St Mirren even after training and heading straight to the bookies and I'd get in the bookies at four or five o'clock and I'd be there to like shutting time and stuff and shutting at nine o'clock at night and then getting the train home at ten o'clock and telling lies to my mum and dad, you know, that I, I had a reserve game at night and all the rest of it and I didn't know I was standing in a betting shop gambling all my money away, you know. Um, but I, I knew I knew I, I knew I had a problem, but my mum also because my mum went to AA a long time ago and my mum's not had a drink for about twenty five years now. But my mum recognised right. straight straight away. My mum recognised that I had a problem with with gambling, so she actually she actually basically dragged me along actually if I'm being honest to to get help in GA. But I had a couple of attempts at it early. I think the first time I went to GA I was seventeen. Um, and I managed to stay, I think I got three months or something off a bet, but I just went right back into my old routine. I was still at St Mirren at the time, I think. Um, and then I went back again when I was 21. Um, and again, I think I managed six months the second time. Um, and I managed to stop. But again, I just went back to my old ways. 
um, and it wasn't until um, I went back again when I was 24. That was in 2012. Um, that eventually, that, that was my last bet. Actually, that was when I eventually decided I had to stop. Obviously, at Saint Martin, and I'm only presuming you wouldn't have been on big money at the time when you when you you'd, you'd go in there as a, a youth player. Is yeah. it a big is it a big win? Is it is it that first yeah. big win at the bookies that grips you, or is it just that thought of just putting that bet on that, that grips you? I I don't think it was. Uh, don't get me wrong, I loved this really winning. Um, I, I loved getting big wins and whatever else, but it was just. It didn't matter for me, Paul, if I won a fiver or a tenner or a hundred pound. It was just, it was the thrill of the gambling for me. Do you know, it wasn't sums of money weren't really that important to me. I just, I just, gambling just took over my life. Was it, and it was horses, the dogs, the Any, lot? Or? Anything. I, I, I was big for the horses and the dogs. I football. I played poker regularly. Ever in any form, any form of gambling, I was, if it was two flies running up your wall, then <laughs> I would have been betting what one was going to win. <laughs> so I mean, there's bound to be, there's bound to be folk, you know, listening to this, who possibly could be going through similar things. Yeah. Ju- just now, I mean, you said your your mum recognised it. I mean, is it important that that you need to be able to recognise it yourself at some point? I mean, you said you kind of knew yeah. you had a uh, had an issue, and and to not be to not think it's like demeaning or a weakness by going and speaking yeah. to somebody about it. Ah, that's it. Um, I, as I said, I, I knew myself um, that I had a problem, but I just I didn't accept it. Um, I just I just denied it to myself, basically, and to my family, and caused a bit of carnage round about me. Um, to the point where, um, I, eventually, at one point, um, I realised and I accepted, you know, I can't date anymore because I ended up on my knees and and quite de- dire straits. You know, I was in desperation. I'd I just I had nowhere else to go because. It was really diff- really difficult times, so I'm fortunate and I'm so grateful that I managed to to go back to GA in 2012 and and managed to turn turn my life about. But you also kind of touched on it that it probably affected your football and who who's to say where you might have gone if you'd been spending that extra couple of hours doing some extra training afterwards instead of shooting off to the the bookies. Yeah, that's it. Um, and there was a lot of boys that I played with who did, who were quite committed and had that, you know, that extra drive and motivation to to kind of stay behind and do extra and whatever else. I was one of the ones, kind of as soon as I could, I was wanted out the door. I wanted away, but I also wanted to go to the betting shop. That's the truth. Um, so I, I always think about it. I just wish things had been different, and I maybe did put in that extra work, and I never had the problem that I had then. You just never know, do you know. That's not to say mm. I would have. It's not to say I wouldn't have. You, you just you don't know. I'm. Um, I, f- I think I've been quite fortunate to have the career that I've had. Do you know, I've played for for 16. I'm 32 now. I've played professional football half my life now, um, and I've played at a good level. And I've had some great experiences, and I've met some brilliant boys along the way. That some that are friends for life, and I've 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 played in some great games that I'll, I'll always remember, and nobody can take that away from me. Do you know? You touched on. Obviously, when you were at St. Martin, I think you went alone to Montrose, didn't you? Yeah. And then you end up going to Stirling Albion, Breaking City. Yeah. You must like spending some time in a team bus on a Saturday <laughs> night. How did, you, how did you find that? How did you find going down to that going down to that level? You touched on some really, really good players. Was that a surprise to you? You thinking at some point is, I don't know how I'm getting back for, for being down here. Ah, of course. Um, when I left initially, as I said, I thought, in my head, honestly thought, I would go to Stirling Albion, I would be top man, I would be 
and I would get picked up again the following season or whatever else. But when I went there, you know, I probably wasn't. My head wasn't right either when I went there. I was probably a wee bit of a letdown actually at Still and Albion when I went there. I never, I only stayed for one season, um, and I remember Alan Moore didn't renew my contract at the end of the season. And I was gutted about it, but he actually said to me, and I always remember it. He said to me, "I expected, uh, and I was expecting bigger things after you." Um, but obviously at the time he didn't know the way I was living my life and that gambling had kind of had a grip in me by that point. Um, that it just. Football. I remember at times going to before games and all that and standing in the betting shops and losing your, all your money, whatever it was, whether it was 20 quid or whether it was 100 quid, whatever I had on me and losing all your money and then expecting to go and, expecting to go and put in a performance at 3 o'clock on a Saturday. Do you know what I mean? It's very hard. Um, and that's the way I lived my life the whole time I was at Stirling. So it's no surprise I didn't do myself as much justice as, as, I, as I should have and could have. What was, it, what was Alan Moore like? Alan Moore was great. Um, I got on really well with him. He was that. Alan Moore was a total character, Gareth. Um, he was great for the boys. Great about the dressing room. Um, and and I, I did. I liked him. He played me most weeks. Um, so it's the same with any manager. If you're playing, you like him. If you're not playing, he's he's not a great guy, then is he? Um, so as I said, I I played most weeks at Stirling, but I never did myself as much justice as I, as I should have. I feel as though actually I let him down a wee bit, if I'm being honest. But uh, Alan Moore, in terms of as a guy and as a manager, he was great. I got on really well with him and he was total character. Um, I remember well, I remember one time coming back for Peterhead on the team bus. Uh, you're talking about long journeys. <laughs> coming back for Peterhead and boy, the boys, I think we must have won the game. All the boys are getting a couple of beers on the way down the road. And we Murray was a life and soul of the place. He'd two beers and he was steaming and singing and dancing with all the boys and slaughtering boys and I'm only I'm almost only been 19 I must have been 20 21 hang this is actually the manager and he's absolutely hammering boys uh, but it was great it was good he was a good guy that's one thing in football people don't see so you're on the team bus there must be some nights when you're playing especially in that second and first, you know second division you're up at teams like Peterhead and Breakin yeah. there must be nights you're not getting back down the road until 10 o'clock at night and things like that. Aye, Peterhead's not a great journey. That's one of the, that's one of the worst ones. Um, but I, but it's good. Listen, it's good if you win. It's great on the bus on the way down the road, and it's it's great for building camaraderie amongst the boys and a bit of banter, and great for the team spirit and all the rest. Of it is the away days are really good. Obviously, if you win though, if you come back down the road and you've been you've been pumped, then it's no great. Your boys are just sitting there, no one to talk to each other and whatever. Do you know what I mean? I'm one of the guys. If I get beat, I'm gonna huff for days. So I don't want to talk to anything <laughs> that. So. I wasn't very much used to the boys on their long journeys and after we get beat, but when we won, I was certainly in about it, I'll tell you that. <laughs> so then you go to Breaking City, so who would have been the manager there? Was that Michael O'Neill, was it Jim no, Weir? It was actually just after Michael O'Neill, uh, when I signed, it was Jim Duffy that signed me up there. Right, I forgot Jim was there. Jim Duffy there, I had um, I had left still in Albion and they never gave me a new contract and I, was, I remember it, I was devastated. And just think to myself, because it was a wee bit then, it was a bit unknown for me. I later found out that this happens every other year with boys, but at the time, I didn't really know what to expect or what to do. And as I say, I had my own problems off the field and stuff, So, and I wasn't having any money coming in, whatever. I was panicking a wee bit, and I'd get a phone call from Jim Duffy saying that I came recommended to him and that they had they were having a they were having a friendly game, and he'd say to me, I'd like you to come up and play in that. Um, and that's what I'd done. I went and played in that game. Um, and I actually did really well in the game. And then Jim Duffy, off the back of that, that night, had just offered me a contract. Um, but what he had basically said to me was, he only offered me six months. So when I when I first signed my bacon, I only signed a six-month deal up until Christmas or January, whatever it is. Um, and basically he said to me, 
I haven't really seen you enough type thing, but I, what I've seen tonight, I like the look of you and, I, and I'll offer you to a short-term deal and then it's down to you to kind of try and prove to me that you, you can play at this level and that you want a chance and that you're good enough type thing. So I took it, I signed the six months deal um, and I actually, I think it was maybe around about the October time or whatever else, he offered me a new 18, improved 18-month contract. So he obviously liked what he'd seen the, the first few months and as I say, I then signed another 18 months at Breakin, which was taking me up to the, the two years. So I enjoyed my time up there as well. Great wee club Breakin there. One of the ones that really look after the boys at part-time level and stuff as well. Good wee, good wee family club. Decent pairs as well, aren't they? Ah, well, ah, 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 I say, the first six months, they weren't, they weren't paying me great. You're 18 months, would have been all right there. <laughs> I remember Willie Dyer going up there. <laughs> ah, well, Willie actually, Willie, Willie's my mate. Willie actually, tra- I travelled with Willie. We travelled up together, actually. Um, so I, Willie had all the money. He took all the money away back to the Drum Chapel and selling all his fake watches. <laughs> Because it actually surprised me, obviously, I was involved with when, when Willie went there. And uh, even like I see them in the position they're in now, you know, they would, uh, they've been saved by the bell a wee bit here. And I couldn't believe a club, of, you know, because I obviously know they give decent contracts to boys. And yeah. over the years, they've attracted players, especially yeah. from, from the west of Scotland, have went up there and played as well. So yeah. I was absolutely astonished when I seen where they were. And it's, uh, as it's a shame, you're right. Um, obviously, the fact that they had they had one league well they went up through the promotion playoffs in the league one and they got up into the championship but they actually I think they were the team that finished fourth that year in league one and by all accounts I think I think they were miles off at that season and they they get fortunate to 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 win the playoffs and then they ended up found themselves in the championship and that was they had the season where they they didn't win a game remember that yeah and they never won one game um so then obviously I think that done a wee bit of damage to the club then they went down to league one then they actually get relegated again off the back of that. Um, so they they have they've had a few they've had a, a few seasons in a row where it's been quite tough for them but they you're right in what you're saying there they do attract good players for the West and stuff and because they obviously pay quite well and whatever else they need to, these clubs these clubs need to pay well to attract boys for down here just because of their location do you know what I mean? And how did you find the travelling for that? As I say, we're way up to breaking it's not just up the road is it? Is a fair I, and obviously you, you went to Forfar and teams like that. I will travelling up to breaking at the time as I say again it was only. I think I'd only been at St Mullen and then um, Stirling Albion, so it was only my really my third club or whatever. So again, I just wanted to play, um, and the travel was actually fine because you you always find again, and I've learned this through experience in the lower leagues. Yeah, um, if you get a good car school, it's no bother at all. So we did, we had a great car school. It was myself and Big Craig Nelson, who's still there the now, the big goalie. He's actually a coach now. Big Nell's a great guy. He's for Coatbridge as well. So I travelled with Big Nell. We Ian Hartley was there at the time. We Hartley was a great wee guy. Um, I played with Harry at three different clubs. He's actually one of my mates as well. Um, and then obviously we had Willie Dyer travelled with, Stevie Cannon travelled up. So we had good characters, the boy Davy Scott, the other goalkeeper. So we had we had good car skills. So it breaks the journey up and it makes it more fun. Would uh, would Alloa have been the most enjoyable time of your career so far because of the, the promotions? Um, that's a hard question. Um, I've enjoyed times at a lot of clubs, but you're right, Alloa's... I was a special club to me because obviously it's the where I played the longest, and as you say, winning successive promotions and stuff, playing in cup finals, 
Um, it was great, it was great time, and, and obviously what you don't know as well, the the group of boys we had at that club were unbelievable. Honestly, we we have we've actually still the now get a group chat going, right? It's called the Alawa Legends chat now. <laughs> I'll probably get, <laughs> probably get slaughtered for telling you that. Um, but there's we've got a group chat that's been going for I don't know, it must have been what 2012 or something. We still got a group chat right now that that is still very active. We have a bunch of boys that played together for so long that became really good mates that. It was it was brilliant times at Alba, honestly brilliant. I can't speak highly enough of that club. Again, at part time level, it probably is the best part time club, the best ran part time club out of them all. Um, they're honestly a great big club. Right, who's in that group chat that calls themselves a legend? Right, Name okay. and shame. Right, okay, so there's myself, there's Kevin. Right, you can you can question me, right? I'll accept you. No, question. no, no. I'll give you that. I'll give you Kevin, that. We Kevin Colley cannot question. Graham Holmes can't question. Um, Big Ben Gordon, Canny Question, Dan Young, Scott Bain, um, who else is still in it? Stephen Simmons, uh, William Buchanan, Daryl Mega, Eddie Ferns, he's definitely questionable actually, he's not there. Me, Greg Spence, he's also questionable. He's a had good about player. I, th- I always thought he was a good player. And he's had about six spells out, but he's been very fortunate to keep taking him back. Um, nah, I'm, only <laughs> I'm only joking. Spence is a great boy as well. So he went to Celtic, didn't he? He went to Celtic. Aye, that's right. Celtic. Okay. Celtic paid money for him. I don't ask me why, but they did. <laughs> I mean, you mentioned Scott Bain as well. You know, could could you tell he'd be he'd go to the top when you were playing with him? Ah, uh, Benny was good. You could tell that for as soon as Benny came in, it was actually Paul Hartley brought him in for for Aberdeen. Gareth, they obviously Hartley came straight to Alwa from Aberdeen as a player, if you remember. And obviously Benny was one that had impressed him when he was there, so he brought him in, and that was uh, Benny's first kind of experience at playing first team football. In fact, I think he might have had a wee stint at Elgin, but Alwa was his kind of first main one um, where he would play kind of week in week out and became the number one. Um, and yeah, you could tell straight away he was going to be good. His distribution was great, good shot stopper. He was never the biggest though, but he was always brave and coming for crosses. And I, uh, Benny was Benny was a top goalie. I, I, I think I remember that. Didn't he? I remember interviewing him. I'm sure you played Dunfermline one night yeah. at East End Park. I think in a cup game. Yeah. And it was one of his first games, I think. And I remember him saying that you know he he'd, he'd gone to do some labouring, hadn't he, for his for, for one when, of his uncles yeah. or something, was it? I think. I, and, when, he went and worked in a building site. I it was with his family. Um, he was just doing a bit of labouring for one of the. I, I think you're right. I think it was his uncle. Um, so he was because he used to come into training initially that first season, and he'd come into training obviously off the back of coming out of full time football and then getting into the real world, doing a bit of graft, and then coming into training, whatever, just like the rest of the boys. But obviously, then went on had a few great seasons, and then Hartley actually took him to Dundee as well. Um, so that was when he went back full time. Hartley took him up there. So and then he's went from strength to strength, and obviously found himself unbelievable position now at Celtic part of history at Celtic now and obviously getting cats for Scotland and whatever else so fair play to him because he's actually a great boy as well so good on him and was the boy is it Michael Chopper was he there when you were there at Alloa yeah he was I Chops came he was he was unbelievable he was a great guy I got on really well with Chops he obviously I got on really well with him because he was a mad gambler as well as you know oh of course <laughs> so he had some he had some great stories, Chopper. He he came in. Um, I think I don't know if that was 2014-15 season, maybe. Um, Chopper came in and it absolutely it was a shock to all the boys. It came from nowhere. Um, he actually just turned up one game. I swear to God, we were going to play Rangers at Ibrox, 
we were going to play Rangers and it was Chopra's debut. It was his first game and we'd, the bus had just picked him up and we were all like, I can't believe this. <laughs> how, how did he go to Alabama? What was the story? How did he get there? He had been training down. He had come back to his, I think he was over in India or something and he'd come back and he was training down at, I don't know what club it was. Some's telling me at Port Vale or something. He'd been training down at a club anyway down in England and I think the chairman had got windy and just offered them the opportunity to come up and play because it was only for like maybe five months or something, like from January to the end of the season, whatever it was. And he had been offered money to come up and play for a few months. And I think he just wanted games. And now looking back and knowing him, like obviously for him coming in and whatever, he obviously just wanted to play. The most laid back guy ever. And he just came in. And as I say, his first game was Rangers at Ibrox. We picked him up on the bus and he stoted on the bus and all the boys are just pissing themselves laughing. <laughs> How good was he? Was he a different level? Or? Oh, he was, he was, his touches and his... His brain, he was, he was excellent. Um, but don't get me wrong, he was obviously out of shape and whatever else. He was a bit heavy and was carrying a carrying a bit of weight that he shouldn't have been carrying. Obviously, he was a lot older and stuff. But you can still see like his touches and his link up playing that. He was quality and even in even in training that he was excellent. The wee boxes and all that. He would never give the ball away. Um, so yeah, he was class he, and he was a great guy as well. He was. He was just one of the boys. He fitted in quite well actually. He was good. So, but nobody thought to invite him into no. the. He's not legend's chat. No, he never made any there, no. Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> and what about Paul Hartley as a manager? Was he what was he like to work under? Ah, uh, you've you you I had um he was good. He was uh, there's no denying it as a coach and as a manager he was great and he's he's done great everywhere he's been. Um obviously he got us Straight away, we won the league for the first time in was however long, 100 year or whatever it was. Then we won promotion again the following season at the championship. But if you're asking me about him, I'm not going to speak too highly him because he then let me go. Um, and he absolutely broke my heart, I have to say. When I left Alawa that second season, I had played you know, I'd played a lot of games the first two seasons. The first season, I'd played every other week. Second season, my, uh, he had left me out quite a bit and we had a couple of... I had to I'd chinned him a couple of times, whatever, a few funny stories with, with me chatting his door and whatever else, but that's again a story for another day. But he, um, he, eventually at the end of the season, the second season, he let me go, so he released me. And it was quite hard. They just basically said, look, I'm, it's really hard for me, but I don't think you're going to play every week next year. I know the type of boy you are, you want to play. Um, he's like, I think it's best if you maybe go elsewhere. We're going to kind of strengthen. for the, That was their first season in the Championship. Um, so I was absolutely gutted because, as I say, I had two seasons there, loved it, won back-to-back promotions, nothing but success and a great dressing room, honestly, a brilliant dressing room, so I was devastated to leave. So if you're asking me about him, I'm going to say, nah, he wasn't my favourite guy in the world after letting me go. It's like when you're Bob Dumption, it's no you, it's me. I've got to say, you've got the Legends chat, the Alloa Legends chat, who's going to be the manager of that, that Legends team then if it's not Paul Hartley? Well, Dan Young's already a manager now, isn't he? So, I need to say Daz. Uh, there you go. thought maybe Danny Lennon might have sneaked in at the back. Uh, well, he, he, he eventually came as well, actually. He came to Alwyn. Because, obviously, I came back to the club. I'll leave that if maybe that's something he's going to ask or whatever. But, eventually, I played under Danny Lennon. Oh, he, he was another character. At what point did you learn to score direct from corners? <laughs> Only when it was windy. <laughs> <laughs> The first two goals for Dumbarton went straight in. Aye, two corners, aye. Um, one was one was against Livingston down at the Rock. It was actually they were down the bottom as to they were obviously full time. They were we were they were one of the ones we were competing with to try and stay up. I think we won one 0 that game actually, was it? Was it one 0 Yeah, asking me now. I think we did um, anything. I scored direct for the corner, so it was 
That was good. Um, hi, it was a windy day. It was conditions were terrible. Um, and then the second one I scored for Dumbarton straight for the com was actually against Alawa. At Alawa, we beat them. It was one 0 at the time at that. And again, we were kind of fighting obviously as the two part-time teams in the league to against each other to stay up. Um, and I, and I, it was late on to I think it was about 70 minutes or something it was now now it was a terrible game again brutal conditions and I scored direct to the corner to put his 1-0 up and then I wanted it and it was one of the games I wanted it to stay 1-0 against my old team and all that you know to get all the headlines but Grant Gallagher came off the bench and he scored in the last kick of the ball to make it 2-0 and I think I remember I was raging with him <laughs> <laughs> One thing I've learned about you in the short time is I'm never buying a motor off you because in between this as well, you've been to Stranraer. You've <laughs> certainly put the miles in, haven't you? Uh, well, when I left, as I say, when Paul Hartley broke my heart and let me go, um, that's when I went and signed with Stranraer. Um, I was under Stevie Aitken and Stevie Farrell at the time and I had a great season down at Stranraer. Canny, again, another great wee club. Only stayed there for one season, but it was brilliant. Um, great dressing room and all. Great group of boys. Some of them, again, that I'm still good mates with to this day. Like big Frank McEwen, he's one of my best mates in football. Um, Chris Aitken, you know, we Grant Gallagher, we Andy Sterling. Boys, great boys down there. Sean Winter, Jamie Longworth. Um, we had big Martin Green. We had a we had a great squad of boys. Um and we actually did really well this season. I was down at Stranraer. We were, we were actually. I remember at Stevie Aitken, we were, we were um, tipped for relegation that year um, in League One. That was the year that Rangers and that were in the league. Rangers were in the league. Dunfermline were full time at the time. Um, so there were some big clubs in the league. And Stranraer had obviously had the lowest budget and were actually relegation favourites. Um, and we finished third that season behind Rangers and behind Dunfermline, and we made it to the playoffs. Um, and we had big Stephen Bell come in as well, another one of my great mates in football, um, who I'm still mates with today. We had we had a brilliant squad and we ended up having a great season that year. Really enjoyed it, Stranraer. Obviously, the fact that I picked up three Player of the Year awards helped an <laughs> <laughs> I Why did I thought what? I better get that in there. <laughs> we, had, we had Stevie on last week. He was on the show last week. Uh, why did Stevie uh, Aitken. He oh, was on last week. Why, why did you leave? I'm looking at some of the things. There's a season here, season there. Is it just trying to get closer to home? Stranraer's no, a fair journey. No, well, actually, obviously I had a great season at Stranraer, um, but the chance came back to go straight back to Alloa. Um, obviously you're Barry a Smith, legend there. <laughs> Barry Smith um, came in and took over at Alloa. Obviously Hartley had left at the time, um, and Barry Smith then offered me a chance to come back to Alloa. As I say Stranraer were in League One and had a great season but Alwa were in the Championship so it was a league above it was a step up and it was obviously going back to where I had been for the two years prior to that and as I've already said to you I really didn't want to leave Alwa so that was the only reason I left Stranraer um, I wouldn't have left for another League One club or whatever it was only because I had the chance to go back and play in the Championship and that year if you remember back that was when the Championship's been probably the strongest it's ever been that was the season I had Harps Hibs Rangers so I would have had to have been no right in the head not to go and go back there do you know what I mean you mentioned Dumbarton after going to Dumbarton then you fancied a trip up to Methyl I did um, I signed well Dumbarton obviously I left off the back of um, and as I said I never I never took up the option of signing a new deal at Alaba with Danny Lennon because I said I didn't feel very wanted whatever um, and then again Stevie Aitken and Stevie Farrell believe it or not got the Dumbarton job so had, having had the season I had with them at Stranraer, then they were desperate to get me at Dumbarton. Um, so that was, they, they two were kind of, they were the reason why, again, why I left Alawa and went and signed for Dumbarton. It was going to be a manager, an assistant manager who I, 
who I got on really well with, who knew me as a player, who knew me as a boy, um, and you know, and obviously they offered me a really good deal. So I then went and um, signed with Dumbarton. And 63 games you went on to play with Dumbarton, so you must have been in the squad every single week, playing yeah, yeah. every week. Well, uh, you're you're better check your facts there actually because. I think I played 76 games for Dumbarton over the two seasons. All these games I was talking about. <laughs> uh, okay, 63, right, I'll take that then. Uh, you, got, you, got, you got very defensive there, didn't you, for a minute? <laughs> uh, and as I say, then after, after that, you went, to, you went to Methyl? I did, so um, I went and signed with, with East Fife with... Dan Young, obviously, as I've mentioned before, Dan was my mate for playing together at Alawa. And again, we were friends away from football and Daz is a great boy. So Daz obviously took up, he'd had a, a, a management job. His first one was at Albion Rovers and did really well there. And then obviously get these five jobs. So the call came for Daz to obviously go and work with him. And, and it was I was I was excited to go and work with him just because he was my mate and I knew what I would get for him and he knew what he was getting for me. So I went and I signed a two-year deal with East Fife, yeah. Well, I mean, what's it like when you mates the manager? It can be, it can be, it's got its pros and cons, Gareth. Stevie Aitken was a friend, I would have called him a friend as well, having worked with him for so long, and obviously I'm really good mates with his brother, Chris Aitken, um, so it's it has its pros and cons, let's say, um, but going and working with Daz, again, it, he knows me, it's a big advantage, he knows what I'm about, he knows what I'm like as a boy, he knows what I'm like as a player, he knows he can trust me, so Daz would, he would lean on me for a lot of stuff and ask me a lot of advice and it would, it's good responsibility on my shoulders, you know, to kind of speak for the boys in the squad and, and whatever else, because he knows what he's getting from me is the truth, and that's just the way I am, do you know what I mean? He knows I'll tell him if it's if it's good, I'll tell him if it's bad, I'll tell him. So it's good that you've got that relationship with somebody, but on the other hand, it can be hard when, you know, there needs to be awkward conversations if you yeah. find yourself like out the team or whatever else, or are things you're not happy with. It can be quite difficult because your 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 friendships there as well, but. Again, as long as it's getting done in the right way, then it's it can be straightforward as well. Do you know what I mean? And from there, then, I mean, where did the kind of East Fife to Forfa move? Yeah. How did that all come about? Well, I had two seasons at East Fife. Obviously, first season there, I was really good. Um, we'd, we we finished fifth. I think we finished just outside the playoff spot, which was disappointing because we felt as though with a group of boys we had, we probably should have finished in the playoffs, but we missed out. And then the second season, I actually picked up a. I picked up a, an injury where it was a probably it was the first injury I've actually ever had in my full career. Um, so I needed an operation. I get a an operation in my knee, my left knee. I, I had my, my my medial meniscus. I had a wee tear in my meniscus, but I'd played with it for maybe five or six weeks, and I just kept making it worse and worse. So I ended up needing an operation. So I was out for six months. Um, but then when I came back, um, things were good. It took me a, quite a long time to come back. You know, some boys can come back to that injury, maybe. 6 to 10 weeks some boys but it took me nearly 6 months because I had kind of I had no I didn't really know what I was doing in terms of my rehab and all that because I, had, I hadn't really had injuries I had no experience of being injured so I, what I'd done is in the type of boy I'm at I tried to rush my rehab and try to get back as soon as I could because I was missing playing I was missing training and what I'd done is I actually set myself away back to the start so it was a bit of a nightmare if I'm being honest it took me double the time that I should have been to come back um, but then I get back, get playing a wee bit towards the end of the season, um, and I had there was a there was a contract offer there for East Fife, um, but Forfar had come in, obviously big Jim Weir who I'd worked with as you mentioned earlier at Montrose when I was a kid, um, Jim Weir took me up there and that was my very first experience, the first team football, 
think I was only 17 at the time. So I knew Jim Weir well. Um, and obviously, we John Baird was the assistant manager up there. And he's one of my good mates. So Baird had been trying to get me for a few seasons, actually. Um, and then the time came. And as I say, Fofer offered me a two-year deal, a lot better terms than what East Fife were offering, and two years. Um, so it was a bit of a no-brainer at my age. You know, I think I was 30 at the time. So I went and took up the option of going and signing for Fofer. You mentioned Darren Young. You mentioned John Baird. Two guys who you've played with, their mates. Yeah. They've kind of moved from playing into coaching and management. Yeah. I know you're, you're still only 32, but you, is that something you'd like to get into when when the day eventually comes to hang up the boots? Aye, I would, because um, I'm just I'm just football mad. Um, I, I just love football and love the environment and love what it's all about. And I, I, I do see myself actually getting into coaching and management. I don't know if I'd be a coach or a manager. I don't know. Some boys say to me they think I'd maybe be a better coach. Some say I'd be a better manager. I don't know. You just need to find your own journey, I suppose. Um, but as something that I'm definitely going to, I think, it would be for me because I've got a, a lot of knowledge about the, the Scottish game, having been about for as long as I have. And, and I'm, if you ask anybody about me, I'm quite a busy guy. Um, so I know everything about everybody. So I've got a great knowledge <laughs> <laughs> the lower leagues in Scotland and players and having played against them all so many times over the years so I think I would be an asset to a club to, um, in terms of coaching and whatever else so I, I, I do I think it probably will come for me at one point I, I just hope it's not any time soon Just listening to you speak in the conversation we've had in the last hour one thing you certainly need is, is contacts in the game and, and yeah. contacts to be able to bring in players and it certainly sounds as if you've, as if you've got that Yeah Well for as I said, having 16 years in the game and being a wee busy bee, which I am, <laughs> and ha- and having faced it, you know what it's like in the Championship, League 1 and League 2, you play against and you, you, you play against the same boys week in, week out over the years and you some of them you become you get good friends with and a lot of them you obviously you see them playing and what they're good at and their strengths and weaknesses of teams and whatever else. So I have got a good knowledge of the, of the lower leagues anyway, that's for sure. Darvill have added another player with senior ranks experience after former St Johnston midfielder Liam Caddis joined. Glasgow Perthshire have signed goalkeeper Connor Gaffney. Midfielder Martin Sinclair has extended his stay at Johnston Borough after joining the club last season. Irving Meadow have announced striker Graham Boyd has signed a new contract after returning to fitness following two years out with injury. At Rutherglen Glen, Glen Cairn, they've confirmed their striker Kieran Smith has renewed his contract. He joined from Canvas Lang Rangers just before the season stopped and made just one substitute appearance. And Canvas Lang Rangers, they've signed Andy Duffy from Foldhouse. Which brings us to Inside the Mind. Each week, we'll put our guests on the spot to look deep into their psyche and discover some hidden stories. Right, Mark? Go for who was your idol as a boy? My idol as a boy, footballing-wise, um, I'll say... Henrik Larsson had a big he was one that I loved uh, growing up watching obviously I'm a for Colt Bridge I'm a big Celtic man uh, him. so Henrik Larsson was one I'll definitely say Who's the opponent you always dreaded facing? Opponent I always dreaded facing um, I remember youth team days having loads of fights with, with David Cox um, Cox he was at Kilmarnock as a kid when I was at St Mern and we used to have some battles on the park and we actually didn't like each other at the park either. And he, was, <laughs> he was quite a fiery character and so was I. Um, so we had a lot of battles. I hated playing against him because he was rough and he would always leave the boot in on you and whatever. Um, but I then actually, 
I went on to actually play with him at Annan and I've played against him a million times now over the years. He's actually a great boy, B Coxie too, but I hated playing against him when I was younger. I always remember playing against like Celtics, youths and reserves and that as well. And they were like, at reserve team level and stuff. They were and playing against a boy, Charlie Grant. Um, he played years ago. He was and we Paul McGowan. I hated playing against him as well. He used to score again us every time we played them. Um, so that's a few boys just looking back years that I, I didn't particularly enjoy playing against. What was the favourite football top you wore and why? As in from a team playing with? Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe, I don't know, maybe you liked the strip or maybe the, yeah. the strip held special memories? or. Well, I, I, I loved the, the Alba strip that we wore in the, when we got to the final with the, the Petrofac Cup. Um, we went, we played Livingston at McDermott Park and we had a, it was a white and gold strip. It was, I think it was the only ever one they've had. In fact, no, they had an away strip one year that was white actually, but this white and gold and black one, it was... A cracker, and obviously because we had played in like a, a national final as well, it was holds good memories for me. So uh, not not the fact that we had, we get battered on the day, right enough. Um, <laughs> but in terms of the strip, I've still got that one, and I quite uh, that was a nice strip. I loved that one. Who's the best player you've played with? Best player I've played with. Um, I've played with a lot of good players, Gareth. I'm going to um, I'm going to go back to a game on St Mondays. Um, I never get the chance to play with him a lot in a first team level. Obviously, I only made one appearance for St Mon in the first team, um, and it was Gary Brady who I played with. He was Gaz. Oh, honestly, you've no idea. Gaz was top top player. Um, Gaz actually played at Spurs. Spurs. Played mm-hmm. at Spurs in Newcastle as well. Yeah. Um, growing up and stuff. And I think he played in the first team, whatever. But Gaz Brady's a player. Gaz could have played for the old firm up here. It, not a problem. It was that good, honestly. You just couldn't get the ball off him. He never gave the ball away, ever. Um, he had this wee dip of the shoulder he used to do. <laughs> the boys would dive in and he would just... Oh, he was... Gaz was excellent. Um, and he, he should have... He should, the reason he never probably played like top level as well is because he was the most chilled out, laid-back guy ever. Smoked 20 fags a day, 30 fags a day. And just bothered to be what a guy he was, honestly, and a top player. And last question, what's the best practical joke you've seen played? Uh, best practical you joke? You must have seen a few over I the have, years. But just all the old school ones, like Boise's gear and whatever, getting cut up, and the deep heat in Boise's pants and whatever, just all the... The usual stuff that obviously came in years and years ago that boys just carry on the tradition. Um, I can't think of any. You put me on the spot about. I probably should have thought about that earlier when you text me. Uh, <laughs> I, I can't really think of any in particular off the top of my head. Moving on, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it sounds like you've been busier than most people during lockdown. Yeah, I guess first of all, I suppose we should have congratulated you on on the arrival of your second child and. and yeah. And is every first of all, is everybody doing all right? Aye, all great, mate. All good. Um, apart for I can hear them crying in the next room now. <laughs> apart for that, the <laughs> family's been good. Um, the wee man's came along, as we say, in difficult times, but he's he's been great. There's been no kind of concerns or whatever with him. Um, so I, in terms of my own family, everyone's fine, mate. Aye, good. What well, what was it like? You know, it would have been stressful enough at any time, wouldn't it? But the fact that you, I mean, I. I know we did, we spoke about it a little bit for the for the paper. Yeah. Um. But but what what was it what was it like back in those days? Because nobody knew. Well, I mean, not that we know a lot now, but there was very little known then. And, and did you think that you might have to miss the the arrival of your second your second uh, child? 
Uh, it was it was quite it wasn't a great experience if I'm being honest. It was it was more so my wife I was worried about and all because she was kind of she was really worried about it. Um, as women obviously worry more than men, as they say. So, um, and obviously it was her that was going to ha- have to go in and have the baby. So she was definitely worried more than me. But it was um, it was strange just because of the fact you know just even thinking that there was a potentially opportunity I wasn't going to be able to see my baby being born. Do you know what I mean? Because obviously Care's six now, so I'd had that experience. Of, he hadn't been there and it was amazing. Um, it was the best day of my life, you know, when the wee man was born. So to feel that I was maybe going to miss out on that was quite daunting and quite scary. But they tried their best to, you know, reassure us and whatever. And I know I said that to you the last time we spoke with the, with the paper and whatever else. Um, but it was weird to even just drop my over, drop her over and then waiting on a call. I wasn't allowed in the hospital then, so I dropped her over like the, the night before. Um, so Leanne had went in and basically they'd said they were going to contact me as soon as she went into labour type thing uh, whereas I had been there the whole time when Kerr was born so along with Leanne's mum Celia so it was a bit weird um, but then obviously I got the call to say um, whenever she goes into labour and she's however far on it is they can say to you then you're free to come over type thing but yeah I wasn't allowed to leave the, remember telling you that I wasn't allowed to leave the ward and all that stuff Um just being because in case of infection being transmitted or whatever with this virus and whatever. So it was it was quite it was quite surreal. But as I say now looking back, it's an experience I'll be able to tell him he was born in the midst of a global pandemic. <laughs> um but all all went well and he's healthy and there's been no issues with him or whatever. So he's been great. That's him. I think that's maybe him nine or ten weeks now. So ah, he's been good. For somebody who loves his football as much as you do, does having having the wee one has that helped you kind of not miss it to a point because you've had other things on your mind or has it been I know it has it's, it's helped me because it's obviously I need to see from my own head Gareth I need some sort of routine I'm quite routined and I like the same things all the time that's just the way I am even with my football and whatever I do the same thing all the time whatever um, so it's it's been good in terms of there's been a bit of normality that I've still been working had I not been working and had I not been a key worker um, and I'd been locked up in the house the same way my wife and the Waynes have I would have been pulling my hair out, do you know what I mean? I'd have been really struggling with my, 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 my mental health and stuff. Um, so I've seen a lot of boys putting out there that have struggled with their no football and no training and all the rest of it. And I'm in the same boat. Like I'm actually carrying an injury now. And I remember saying this to you again, way back when we spoke, I had a knock in my ankle, but it actually seems to be getting worse. See, we, right. we've been out my, right. my body, not used to, I'm used to training two, three, four times a week, playing 90 minutes on a Saturday. See, see, and just managing my body. But see, with this last 12 weeks, I've actually not really did too much, if I'm being honest. Obviously, I had the wee injuries I've said, my baby came along, but then I get a wee bit lazy for a, for a number of weeks as well, if I'm being totally honest. But not being able to, my ankle's still bothering me. It's actually getting sore the more that I'm not training, if that makes sense. And it's actually, it's really starting to get to me now because now that I'm, I'm starting to hopefully see things moving on, we've seen now the Premier League boys are back. Championship, the top and going back in October. We're hoping that I'm hoping that League One and League Two are not going to be too far behind. But I'm just it's frustrating. That is really frustrating, you know. You mentioned being a key worker and working yeah. at St Philip's Residential School in Airdrie. Yeah. What 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 has that been like doing the shutdown? Because I guess I mean you've not been furloughed. There's been must have been an element of of normality for you because you you were still working every day, but at the same yeah. time you were having to work within the new restrictions yeah it's been it's been it's been great for me as you say in terms of my normality and routine and i'm still at work all the time but 
what I will say is for the kids, it's been really difficult for our kids because I'm talking to you there about my five and six year old, you know, how he struggled with it. I, I deal with and I work with really vulnerable kids. So you imagine vulnerable kids being locked up, do you know what I mean? It's really difficult for them. Um, so it's been hard in terms of, do you know, I usually I spend a lot of time with engaging the kids and we'll do fun things, activities and getting them out and about and out the house unit and stuff. But they've actually been cooked up for quite a long time as well. So it's been really, really tough for them, um, which has showed in kind of their mental health and their behaviour and how their interactions with people, whatever. But what I will say is they've managed it really, really well in terms of it could have been so much worse for them. So I suppose it's, it's it's been great for me still being at work and I love my job, you know, working with the kids. It's, I work with kids with emotional and behavioural difficulties. Um, so it's it's great. It's really rewarding. Um, and I'm working right now with... with um, I work with girls as well. It's generally St Phillips for the last 40, 50 years has been an all-boys school. Um, but it's actually, we have girls now as well. So it's been a real challenge working with girls. But I have to say, I, I love it. And it's been it's been really good in building that kind of relationships with, with girls as well. I, I probably was a wee bit fearful that I wouldn't have been able to kind of relate to them or they wouldn't have been able to relate to me. Do you know, with the boys, I can take them, play football, take them to the gym, do boxing with them, what I do all the time. And the laddies love it. but So I was a wee bit apprehensive of working with girls. But, so I've worked with them now the last year to year and a half. And I love it. Honestly, I love my job. It's great. And I got into the job. When, when I went part-time, I then knew I kind of had to try and get another career. And I always wanted to work with kids. So I went to college and done my HNC in health and social care. Done my SVQ. Um, and then I managed to get a job through a, a contact and a, a friend that worked in there um, who was a manager. Um, and I was able to get a job and I've not looked back. I've been there now for the last, I don't know, I must have been in the school, eight, nine years or whatever it is. Um, and I love it. I love my job. I'll be there for the rest of my days. And how many kids do they, they look after in the school? We've got um, we've got 30-odd residential kids. So we've got maybe 30, 35 kids who are residential. Paul, so they go to school there and, we, and they stay with us at night. Um, so that's the residential kids. And we've got, I think we've got, maybe 12 to 15 day kids now that are on the books. We used to have 20, 25 kids that come in just solely for education. Kids that, you know, kids that can't manage like mainstream schools. Um, so we, well, I think we've got maybe 10 to 12 of them or something now. Um, so they come in, they get taxied in in the morning, they have their education with us um, and then they go back to their homes at night. So we've got a mixture of residential and um, day kids and how do you manage that round football? Is it, is it shift work or are you in set shift? Or? Uh, so I've got a set rotor. Um, so basically I do, I work weekends and stuff as well. So I work two weekends and three, but the school are great with me. Paul, they're really accommodating. They, they would do anything to help me. Um, so what I do, I, I tend to do a lot of kind of shift swaps and stuff. So if it's, for example, my Tuesday night where I need to be back shift or whatever, I'll take it off and go to my training and I'll work like maybe the Wednesday or the Monday or whatever, and they, they're quite accommodating that way, and they help me out, to be fair. I'm, I've got a really good relationship with my manager, so she helps me out quite a lot um, and looks after me in that way, do you know? Can you see more players having to go down the route you've taken because of what's happening right now? We, we touched on it at the start, but you had that you had that kind of foresight to get a career behind you, didn't you? You, you could see what was coming yeah. for your, your career. Ah, well, that's that. Well, I knew... I knew after I'd been a few years part time that uh, I needed to get another income. I needed more money. I needed, and I couldn't live on the wage for just a part time football. Do you know what I mean? So I knew I then had to go and try and get another career behind me. Now I had a couple of opportunities 
to go back full time, Gareth as well. Like I had the chance to go back full time with Livingston um, when Matt Burchill was a manager back in I think it was 2014-15. But the sort of money that you're talking that it's it's it just wasn't manageable. Do you know it's compared to my part time money along with my my career. Do you know what I mean? So at that time I was still working in the school and obviously earning part time with Alwa, but I couldn't I couldn't justify it in terms of my family and whatever to then take that opportunity now my head was telling me I really wanted it because I love football and I wanted to go back full time and get another go but it just didn't make any sense financially for me and my family do you know what I mean I think the wee man had kind of was care was uh, born around about then as well um, so it was it was difficult but I, I think now with, with the times that we're faced with now and with this pandemic and whatever and the, 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 the difficulties that clubs are going to have financially they're going to find a lot of boys that you're do you know, well, there's Dunfermline, for example, who I've seen mm. 17 of them or whatever being axed. Do you know what I mean? 17 boys, that's so many. Do you know what I mean? And, and that's a lot of good players as well. So these boys that maybe were, were on your, I don't know, five, six, seven hundred quids full time. Do you know what I mean? They're, they're going to now have to look to, maybe they're not going to get that money. So they're going to maybe need to drop down to your part time level and getting two, three, four hundred quid and try and get a career behind them to subsidise their money. Do you know what I mean? Obviously, I did it back when I did it because I had to and that was it. But you're right, to answer your question, there's going to be, I think there's going to be a lot of boys find themselves in that boat, which is which is unfortunate, do you know what I mean? I think it's inevitable, even championship teams. There could be championship teams that go part-time uh, yeah. over the next week. Well, do you think going part-time and doing your two nights a week makes football more fun? Did you Did you enjoy it in terms of... You're coming in for your work, especially yeah. in the environment you work in. It's, it's a stress reliever. Yeah. You go to your training two nights a week. You're getting away from the problems you see all day with the kids. Yeah. But going in there and, 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 and but football's more fun at a part-time level. Um, I, you could say that. There's a few ways, obviously, you could look at it. I would say it's more fun in terms of it's probably a bit more relaxed and it's not your job as such, right? So it's not your, it's not your full-time income. It's not your, your only job. So boys can get away with a wee bit more in terms of do you know, if their professionalism or looking after themselves or getting days off or nights off or whatever it is they need. Whereas when you're full-time, it's your job and that's it. That's your employer. That's your job and there's no going back to that. Um, so in terms of that way, it probably is a bit more laid back. In terms of fun, I wouldn't say it's more fun, though, because a lot of clubs I've been at, as we've spoke about in this podcast, like it's clubs are they're really run professionally. Do you know what I mean? Paul Hartley, when he first came into Iowa, and I know a... I'd mentioned that I'd fell out with him once or twice, but the the level of professionalism he installed at that club was unbelievable. Do you know it was ran like a full time club, um, and it's and, and I know for then to now it's still the exact same, if not better, because the standards just get better and better and better, and the professionalism get better. Do you know what I mean? And they're playing in that tough league, and playing in a playing in a championship for a part time club is really really difficult because you're competing against boys that are that's their job, their livelihood, they're training day in day out. You're only training twice a week. Part-time managers, for me, deserve a lot of... They should be getting a lot more plaudits and, and respect in what they probably do because they've only got very, very limited resources, limited time with the players to kind of drill them for that Saturday, whereas your full-time managers have got all week. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Some of them are even doing double sessions and all the rest of it. Part-time managers have got two hours at, twice a week to try and prepare teams to go and play against Rangers, Hearts, Hibs. At that time, do you know what I mean? It's it's difficult, and it's testament to the to the level of professionalism as well for the players because, again, the 
they're, they have to, a lot of times boys have to like, take time after working, whatever else, to make sure that they can go for like midweek games and all the rest of it, do you know what I mean? So there's a, a, a certain level of professionalism involved and commitment for part-time players as well that probably goes unnoticed at times, I would say. We're obviously coming to the end of the end of the show. Yeah. What happened when you chat Paul Hartley's door? Oh, nothing, nothing major. Um, just a, a couple of times I just, you know, asked him what the usual stuff with managers. <laughs> what do I need to do? Get back in the back. In the, there was no bust ups or fights or anything. If that's what you're oh, wanting. I've been, involved, right in that. I've been involved in a few of them, but no with Paul Hartley. <laughs> <laughs> just, uh, you know, just that, that the usual stuff. Like, what do I need to do again? Your team and all that type of stuff. But I mean, I'll tell you a funny story. One time that the boys still talk about to this day. Um, I went and chapped his door on a Thursday night one time to do you know question why I'm not playing and what do I need to do. I'd been out of the team for a few weeks and we were up to play four for actually on the Saturday and he put me back in the team. So I was buzzing to play. We'd won. I think we'd won one nil or two nil. Big Ben Gordon scored a header late on for a corner actually to win the game. So the boys are all delighted, buzzing. I'm buzzing to be back in the team, whatever. And uh, Hartley came in, and by the way, he was ruthless. I'll say that about him, he was absolutely ruthless, Hartley. Um, and he came in after the game, and we're all high-fiving, no buzzing, whatever, but he wasn't happy with the performance, and he absolutely hammered me in front of the boys. Uh, don't, I, I won't tell you exactly what he said, but it was along the lines of, don't you ever chat my door on a Thursday night, again, demanding to play in my team, and put in a performance like that on a Saturday again. <laughs> there, was, there, was a, there was a few sweary words involved, but I'll not mention them on this. And was yeah, it a response for you? No, I just sat. I I, I just sat and took it. <laughs> the, boys, the boys all swore me about it still to this day. They all loved it. <laughs> Superb. I've had, a, I've had a few dressing downs over the years. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Who's been the worst? Uh, Hartley was up there. Stevie Aitken could lose his head at times as well. Could he? Gus could certainly lose it. And don't even Gus and Andy were a different level. I was going to leave last, but Gus wouldn't miss you. I uh, Gus would tell you straight, but he was great. I loved him honestly. I loved him. Him and Andy Mellon were, were brilliant for me and brilliant. Just with, as I said earlier on, even that the kind of the grounding I got in football at St. Mum was was second to none. Before we finish up, we'll clear up the down the divisions decider. Paul, can you give us those clues again? So McDonald's introduced the extra value meal. Roxette had a hat with Joyride. Auchinleck beat Newton Grange 1-0 in the Scottish Junior Cup. And Sheffield Wednesday beat Manchester United 1-0 in the English League Cup. So <laughs> what did you say, Margaret? What did you say the year was? I said I said 94. I've got no idea, honestly. I've got no idea. As I told you, you went ninety one. Do you know what? It's 1991. And I'm telling you, you've you've studied them. <laughs> he is studied to see for next week oh, we're having no junior Scottish Cup he's got a photographic <laughs> memory that's what he's done he's touched me that one threw me as well I, I've got zero knowledge of the junior game absolutely none so I was oh. hopeless oh, oh, three, 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 three weeks ago three weeks ago Paul was one up and the I game was up. fine then the game I'm was having, fine then no, I'm having done it now he's chucking the toys at the pram <laughs> Is it is it is it the two years to do it every do you do it together all the time, eh? Yeah, but his turn next week. But you know the other thing? See when I was one now up, Mark, he nah. wouldn't put a deadline on it. He wouldn't say like when this is ending. Mark, <laughs> can you hear can you hear that violin, Mark? In the background. <laughs> <laughs> now, Mark, thanks for thanks for joining us. Really oh, enjoyed that. Really really uh, hope you obviously shake off that injury and uh, yeah. get back playing at Alan soon and uh, 
hope to uh, you know maybe we can get you back on when the season starts again and, and you can tell us how things are going down at Annan. But yeah, really appreciate well, you coming on tonight. Brilliant stories right. and a great laugh. Right, no worries. Uh, really we'll, uh, we'll speak to you soon. Right, brilliant lads. Cheers. Don't forget, you can get in touch with the show with comments or suggestions for people to speak to. Our email address is downthedivisions at gmail.com. That's downthedivisions at gmail.com. Or you can get in touch via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Do leave a comment, which helps others find us, and subscribe to get alerts when our latest episode is released. We'll speak to you again next week on Down the Divisions.